Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host richmond weaver this is episode 111 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen there are times in our lives where luck just seems to fall in our favor even though in all reality we had much more to do with the success than we actually think And our guest, Dave Damashek, has seemed to be in the right place at the right time, but his success isn't just attributed to timing. A Pittsburgh native, Dave now makes his home in California, where you can find him as a writer, TV, radio host, analyst, all of that at the NFL Network, hosting the Dave Damashek Football Program. And he's also covered the sports world for ESPN, Fox Sports, and CBS Radio. In addition to his work on the Dave Damashek Football Program, You can also find him on the Daves of Thunder podcast. And prior to the NFL Network, he was a comedy writer and performer on Jimmy Kimmel Live. He's worked with Jimmy and Adam Carolla on The Man Show. And he also served as Adam Carolla's sidekick and sports reporter on The Adam Carolla Show. Here's episode 111 with Dave Damashek. Dave, thank you so much, man. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a hectic time us getting together so <laughs> I, what's it, that's old mostly I'll, I'll, I'll put it at like 75 percent my own flakiness and then uh southern california traffic it's southern california traffic it's amazing i'm just mind boggled by just the volume and it it doesn't matter what time of day it's always it's unpredictable that's the killer of it and people will say well you have to anticipate for that and you have to account for that before you get into the car but what kind of life would you be carving out for yourself if you always <laughs> assume that what takes you you know seven out of eight times takes you 30 minutes to do if every once in a while it takes you more like an hour and then once in a blue moon it takes you two and a half hours which is what it literally just took me to get from my place to here two and a half hours I mean, what kind of life would I be living? Should I be leaving the house two and a half hours you early can't. in case there's traffic? That's no way to live. So no way. But anyway, yes. No. Well, thank you for making the effort. I greatly appreciate what a it. And what a pleasure. We're here at the Sage Plant Base Bistro, vegan vegan place, vegetarian, really, whatever. It feels, I, I mean, it really, you couldn't pick a more sort of stereotypical place, at least according to Woody Allen in, um, in Annie Hall. I think all the negative stereotypes 
that exist about Los Angeles are largely owed to Woody Allen and Annie Hall. That one scene or the, his time when he comes out to L.A. to visit her, it's all about, like, what do people eat out there? Don't they eat normal food? That, 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 you'll never find better burgers than you'll find in Los Angeles, but everybody assumes it's all sushi and plants. So I guess, uh, yeah. so I guess so this, this place perfect. is perpetuating that. Good, because real estate's already expensive enough. Yeah. Don't come out here. Well, I can tell you, though, that this is obviously stereotypical of California, but it's not stereotypical of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. No, indeed. Right? No, no quite opposite, yes. <laughs> so I, I'm just amazed. The transition for you to come to California from Pittsburgh, I mean, that's the quintessential blue-collar type of town, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the steel town. Have you made the transition enough where you, you're now a true Californian? Well, uh, I, I, you know, it is very hard to imagine. They always say give LA a year or two to really adjust to it because it really is. I lived in, I lived in Pittsburgh for you know uh, for my first 18 years, and then after college, I, I lived in Chicago for the better part of a decade. And Chicago and Pittsburgh and Boston and you know Cleveland and you yeah, know, you can kind of connect the dots with those. Those places have a lot more in common with each other than any of them do with Los Angeles. This is a completely different exotic land. It's, it feels like, I, I always remember watching in Pittsburgh round about late October, late November, early December, when you're flipping around and the weather gets the steel gray skies and you're watching college football and you go from Pitt, Penn State to Ohio State, Michigan, and you're flipping around. And then later in the afternoon, on comes, where where is this game being played? Where it's sunny and warm, clearly, <laughs> and both of the teams are wearing their home jerseys, UCLA and USC. What is this exotic land? Oh, this is in America? Yeah. This is the same place? I didn't wow. think this place existed. It right? really is. It's a trip. But, yeah, now it's kind of hard for me to imagine going back to that. You know, it would be hard to, um, to you know, to, to, to think about, like, yeah, half my life will be spent in the cold. I, I really have legitimately gone soft. Yeah, so you couldn't do cold again? I mean, listen, yes, I'll do a lot of things to make some, some money. So let's uh, not, uh, let, never say never. But, yes, my inclination would be to stay in this weather. So let, let's walk back then, what you were describing, those Saturday afternoons when you're watching Penn State, Pitt, play in football. What was life like growing up in Pittsburgh in the Damashek family? When I think about it, it really is uh, it, it, my, my memory, you know, outside of family and watching cartoons on Saturday mornings and, uh, um, and, and, and a few other little items. It was all, it was just all sports all for sports. me. You know, we, we, you know, I, um, when I first, when the lights first came on for me and I, I became lucid, um, about what was going on uh, outside my immediate world. Um, the, the Steelers were the best team in football. The Pirates won the World Series. Um, Pitt was really good at football. And uh, the Penguins weren't good. But, but, you know, for the most part, the City of Champions moniker was well-earned at that was, point. That was the height of it. If you remember... It fit very well for that moniker. You're probably too young to remember, but Sports Illustrated cover with Willie Stargell and uh, Terry Bradshaw back-to-back, and it said City of Champions on it. That was that was the what you assumed was... Uh, well, that's what it is. We live in the City of Champions. And uh, my father was, uh, was a doctor. He was the general practitioner. Um, for pit football, pit basketball, and for the Penguins, and so, um, so you know, I went to you know. You're at all the events. I, I I mean, from 
probably about 1980 to 1988, I didn't miss a, a pit football game at home. Went to some on the road, always was at Penguins games, season tickets to the Steelers. I remember, um, like I say, when the Steelers won that Super Bowl 14 and then Super Bowl 13, I went to the playoff games with my old man and my uncles and my sister Amy. And it was so cold. What I wrote, one of my earliest memories really is uh, so bitterly cold in that late January that I, uh, I had we had gloves on, my sister and I, but we took hot chocolate and we were pouring it straight <laughs> onto our hands. I don't think that would be advisable <laughs> no, to a doctor, but, we, but that's what we did. But um, yeah, I mean, my whole life was, was just, uh, you know, rooting on the local teams and going to the games and everything else, and that's all I knew. And on the other side of that, in the 80s, all of a sudden things turned. All of a sudden Terry Bradshaw got hurt and Mean Joe retired and the Steelers became mediocre and the Pirates weren't very good in the 80s. And all of a sudden I became, I, I, I suddenly, so my complicated uh, sense of self-esteem is owed to <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is the way it always is. We're, we're the best there is. Wait, we're not the best? What, Wait a second, what? yes. You I've been figure bait things switched. Out. I've been bait and switched by the sports gods. Now I'm distrustful of life. So where was your allegiance Pitt or Penn State because I know in that area you had to choose one that's exactly right yes and we we are we remain a pit house long after Joe has come and gone from uh, the sports scene um, yeah we, we were dyed in the wool pit people it was never up for debate that's how it was Nothing. no one in the house no one in the extended family no one rooted for Penn State and I, I and I find it grotesque that people in Pittsburgh continue to root for Penn State <laughs> when they have uh, the University of Pittsburgh right in their backyard no, what about from the professional side? You mentioned City of Champions, how Pittsburgh, especially the Steelers back in the day. I do remember that because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I know. Well, exactly. you, got, you got yours in 30. You know Larry Brown. You know what Larry Brown did That's to Neil right. O'Donnell We twice. finally got one. Yeah. But we also have that moniker, America's Team. Yeah. But at the time, when I was growing up in those 70s as well, Again, our, the Steelers own the Cowboys, so did that piss you off that, how did the Cowboys no, no, get no. that? Well, first of all, that first label, of all, America's I mean, team, it, why isn't it Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, that's right, how fraudulent <laughs> that, that, that the Cowboys decided, yeah, we'll be America's team, and then they just own it forever. Yes. They just own it forever. I have submitted that we should, it should be an annual award. I said a couple of years ago that it should be the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, who couldn't love the story of, of Chris Long and Malcolm Jenkins and uh, Long putting his arm around Malcolm Jenkins while he raised a fist and people said, well, that doesn't belong on the football field. That'll disrupt and distract from what you're trying to do on the field. Au contraire, they won the Super Bowl. So I thought that was a, a that was great. Um, and now it seems like the Cleveland Browns are going to be America's team. We'll see how far. How I think that's a stretch. Well, people have, have anointed them. Uh, they have. A Super Bowl contender. I'm not buying into it. Let's get the win double digits, and then I will consider them as a Super Bowl contender. Uh, until exactly. Until they actually do something besides put a nice little string of games together, then uh, I, I will uh, remain on the skeptic, uh, skeptical side. But, um, yeah, the, I mean, it's funny. I, I'm gonna, here, here comes a big name drop, a big one now. Paul Rudd. I was talking to Paul Rudd at the Super Bowl. It is a big on, name on drop. The, on the night, I like on the that. night. Well, it's not like yeah, it's not like he would know who I am. But <laughs> I was talking to him um, at uh, on the red carpet of NFL Honors when they hand out all the awards the eve of the Super Bowl, and um, you know he's a Chiefs fan, and I think that's fairly well known. But he it, he mentioned he's a Steelers fan, so I started quizzing him on it, and he really knows his Steelers stuff. And he mentioned you know being a, a, you know in the ballpark of my age. 
he said exactly what I've said many times before. No matter who your local rooting interest was, you had that team, but then you also were required to choose either the Steelers or the Cowboys. That was just the way it was. They were the two dominant they teams. Were. They were the two Titans in pro football um, before the actual Titans kind of took that and took the shine off of that <laughs> moniker. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always say, you either... You either went for the shiny glitz and the stunt at the offensive line and the shotgun and star-hatted cowboys and you, you vibed to that, or you went for the brawn and the might and the, and the grit of Pittsburgh Steelers football. Which side you fell on said everything about you. Well, there's something about it. If you're from Dallas, I'll allow it. Well, I'm not, and that's the thing. But I was impressionable as an eight-year-old. You see that star? Like, I like the shine. I like the glitz. <laughs> See, I, I, I didn't swoon for it. I like, I, I, I like the. Well, you're I, from Pittsburgh, though. I, well, that's you're true. that grit. You're that grind yeah, type true. of guy. I guess. I, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder. Wonder what uh, that would be interesting <laughs> if you drop me in, uh, in in between the two towns. Which team I would have uh, vibed for? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I grew up in a suburb of Atlanta, so oh, we had the Falcons, and they didn't have a lot to cheer about. I remember, what I remember well is, is after Roger Staubach retired, Danny White took over yes. for him, and he went in and beat the mighty Atlanta Falcons, the Grits Blitz and all that, Steve Markowski, right. they were a really good team, and they hosted the Cowboys, and Danny White threw a last-minute touchdown, just like Roger Staubach would have, to Drew Pearson, and they went on, and they almost, they, they, they went to, I think, three straight NFC title games, and Danny White couldn't get them over the hump in any of those. Yeah, it was it was... They lost in Philadelphia, then they lost um, in D.C., and I'm forgetting one. But anyhow, if they would have won any of those games and gone to a Super Bowl and won it, and they would have had lesser competition, they would have played the Bengals in one of those. They would have played um, the Raiders in one of those. If they would have won one, I think Danny White would have been a Hall of Famer. Now, that's a big if. And and I love your NFL. So that could be one of those... That you could oh, oh, that's exactly fall right. right into that category. Oh, absolutely. What if, right? Yeah, that's a, and by the way, children might be amazed to see that Danny White used to go back there and punt the ball. Like that yes. he was the Cowboys punter. And it's like, <laughs> I remember. And also you're the quarterback. That was weird. <laughs> now, you're pulling all of this information off of what I call your hard drive just so fast. Mm. Have you always had that type of ability to remember certain plays, certain stats in sports, because you're recalling it like understand, you're a fan understand, of that particular team. Understand that you, I, that, that this brain is not clouded up by stuff like algebra <laughs> or, uh, you know, um, European literature. You pushed that all no, out. I, I don't know. Or did it ever get in there? Some, no, no, no. I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to risk it. Yeah. I didn't want to risk it. What if I, you know, if I put the trigonometry in and it might push out uh, the the starting lineups for the Brewers and uh, Cardinals <laughs> in the 82 World Series, and I would not want to risk that. And that's very valuable information. Thank you. Thank you. you have to know that, right? Gorman Thomas yeah. in center. <laughs> See, that's amazing. I, I'm, I'm jealous that you have that type of recall. I have trouble sometimes remembering if I just wash my hair when I'm in the shower. I oh, can't make remember. no mistake. <laughs> I, I, what, what's weird is I think a lot of people are plagued by this same thing. 
I can tell you what happened in 1984 much more easily than I can what happened yesterday. I, I, I it's it, it's a weird thing. I can't. It's harder for me. I I can tell you everything about the first 30 Super Bowls, but the the last 22 or 23 or whatever there have been. See, I don't even know how many there have been since then. <laughs> I would have a hard time ticking off in order who even played in those games off of memory, but I can tell you everything you need to know about the uh, the first 30 or so. Yeah, well, because now, I mean, you're, you've got four kids, so... That's part of it, That yes. has a lot to do with it, I'm convinced. That, yes. that takes, that sucks a lot of stuff out of your hard drive. That's right, that's right. What a, what a sacrifice yeah. I've been willing to make is to spend some time with my children instead of seeing yeah. important uh, sporting events, but I do it. How many siblings did you grow up with? Uh, two, uh, older, uh, an older sister and a younger sister. And my older sister, she was right there with me, more loyal to the Pittsburgh Penguins, even in their leanest of seasons, than I was, but always there with me in Three River Stadium. Um, and uh, it remains a diehard. She lives in Pittsburgh and, and literally will go to um, Penguins playoff games um, by herself sometimes. She, ha she, has two, she has two teenage sons. One of them is now in college, but sometimes if they're not, they don't want to go to the game. She'll she just go. She, she just goes to the game, and I admire it. Now, were you guys a competitive family, competing against each other? I guess the main competition I had with my younger sister Debbie was who got the uh, con who got control of the TV. This yes. predates even remote controls. Once remote controls came, it got a little bit better, but but then you know calling out like I have the TV and I shall dictate what goes on <laughs> for the next hour. You know she was not as much a sports fan, so that was a major rivalry Ooh. all the way. And we always in the backyard. We had a smallish backyard. But in Pittsburgh weather, and especially come October and November, I remember always coming home from those pit football games that we that we talked about, and my friends and I would meet in the backyard and we would play uh, we would play three on three football in Shecker Memorial Stadium, and uh, it was it was it was just like all the stadiums of that day: Three Rivers, the Vet, Riverfront. It was uh, multi-purpose. We you know it could be a football stadium in autumn and winter, but it also converted neatly into a wiffle bar wiffle ball. Backyard. Quick conversion too. Yeah, was that it was that light reddish kind of brick back there, so we called it the Pink Monster. If you could hit it up <laughs> onto the roof, you had uh, you had cleared pink, the, the Pink Monster. But yeah, we always were doing that uh, around the house, and uh, yeah, some fierce Monopoly games and everything else. What about comedy in your family? I mean, you, you've got this unique combination of sports angle, but also a comedy angle. Was Comedy, something comedy. big in your family? No, I've never, really, never dabbled in comedy or anything like that. But I mean, you we've well, been I'm, trying. No, uh, well, I mean, I did, I haven't been trying. I guess no. So um, yes, we uh, the, really. My mother is, is is really very funny. That that's she she probably is the biggest motivation for that. She's just been intrinsically kind of a funny person and remains that. Um, and. Uh, the, I, I guess the big thing for me is um, that, you know, I was never a tough guy, so I, you, you fall into one of those two kind of categories. I, I say even now in Los Angeles, there's so many people out here who are comedians or comedy writers or everything else. And I think the two major um, sides of that are that you're, you're like me, you're, you're, you're um, you have self-esteem issues, and so your only choice is to push back. And and defend yourself in that way, or you're the BMOC and you always were pranking people, and you were the king in high school of uh, uh, of uh, you know being a disruptor and everything else, and then that led you into comedy. I like I say, am on the former side of that, but really the inspiration for me was um, 
I, I remember right when we got a VCR, David Letterman was, it was probably emerging as a late night force on NBC. And I remember I would um, set the VCR every night and wake up before I would go to school and watch Letterman every morning. And so, you know, at a pretty early age, I was, I was dyed in the wool, black and gold, through and through, and then Letterman and Cheers was uh, was another thing that oh, I yes. that I loved. That was that was a big one for me, and uh, and so yeah, those those I, those I guess would be my influences. I guess I was always kind of known. Um, yeah, as, were you the class clown? I guess so. Yeah, I guess I was always kind of known. Well, you don't seem like a guy that would have self esteem issues at all. Did you struggle oh, with? I, oh, uh, listen, I I mean. You know, I didn't uh, speak outside of the aforementioned sisters and my mother. I didn't speak to a girl until uh, I went to college. I mean, uh, yeah, I, that, I was, that was a foreign notion to me. <laughs> like, you know, that well, that, they wouldn't want to speak to me, would they? You know, no, I, I, I don't think I'm ready for that. And why was that, though? I, you know, I, I have no, uh, I, I, maybe it goes back to the Steelers betraying me in the fashion that they did. You know, right. I thought it was something, then they knocked me down with Cliff Stout and Mark Malone and Bubby Brister, yeah. you know? Well, that was a tough call for Bubby Brister to try to help your self-esteem. Isn't right? that weird? Yeah, I, I, maybe that's a reach that I'm blaming my uh, my teenage uh, troubles with uh, with girls on Bubby Brister. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with that we'll one. go with that one. Yes, we'll, we'll go with that. Then how do you make the... The transition of leaving Pittsburgh and then ultimately getting to California. I was doing it. it really, it, this is not an inspirational tale. It's I, it, it's just really dumb luck. I went to Indiana, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, at the you know again uh, Bob Knight at the height of his powers. While I was there, Calbert Chaney, that gang, Damon Bailey, if you remember. I do. Uh, yes, that, that I'm a gang. big basketball guy, oh, okay. so I know. Yeah. I'm that team very well. I'm still bitter about '93. In, in in the all-time season of Titanic teams, you had Jamal Mashburn's Kentucky team. You had Eric Montrose and that uh, North UNC Carolina, team. Yeah. You had the Fab Five. There were all these great teams, and still head and shoulders above them all through the vast majority of the regular season were the Indiana Hoosiers. They had this iron six that they would roll with. You know, they mm-hmm. only had six guys, but they never would foul out, and. Um, and then right before the tournament, Alan Henderson hurt his knee, and they couldn't sustain it without one it. of those key pieces. And they and they made it all the way to the to the final eight, but that, that's as far as they could go. I'm still bitter about that one, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I did uh, journalism in college and punctuated right at the end before I left school. Uh, I wrote Bob Knight a letter because, as you will recall, he you know he liked to bash the media, so I wrote him a, a note. Uh, a cute note about how I want to show you before I leave our School of Journalism coach night that uh, Indiana University is producing a better brand of journalist for the next uh, for the next generation. If you have the chance, uh, have the time for an interview, I'd love to sit down with you for a few minutes. And uh, couldn't believe it. Called up a week later just to confirm that you got uh, got my letter and the assistant who infamously then became known to the public as the woman at whom he threw a potted plant in her office. A week later, I found myself in that office talking to her and saying, Coach Knight will see you down on the floor. Practice is wrapping up in about uh, 15 minutes, so head on down to the floor at Assembly Hall, legendary Assembly Hall. I went down there. We, we, we set up. There was Calvert Chaney on one side. There was Damon Bailey on the other, finishing up practice, shooting their free throws. 
and um, we set up right in the middle of the floor. It was it was out of body yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> And um, yeah, kind of like me now. Yeah, with, coach, with you, that's about it. Sure, right sure. Coach Knight, same. Coach Knight uh, walked over with with that uh, with that walk that he has, a statuesque man. And um, inside of two questions, he had sworn at me and said, uh, <laughs> "If you can get your s together by tomorrow, you can come back and we'll try this again." I asked him. I I, I asked him a, a pretty vanilla question about uh, any, you know, they were about to play Kansas, and I said uh, they had lost to Kansas in the tournament before, the year before, and I said, any revenge factor as you go into this game, is that something that's in the team's head? And that was the question that sparked. That set him off. What, what kind of question is that? And he swore at me, and um, also he was crossed because I brought a shooter with me, a, a, a camera, and the old kind of high eight tapes, and, um, he didn't expect. He thought I was just going to interview him, not on camera. So he was he was upset by that. And uh, after he said, "You can come back tomorrow if you want." Also, I need that tape. And he took the tape and he walked off. And uh, we then the the shooter realized, "Wait, I have other stuff on that tape. We need to get that tape back." And so we went and knocked on the on the locker room door. And one of the trainer guys uh, said, "Sorry, that tape's gone." Uh, it laughed and. Uh, the next day, I was really, it was legitimately, it was one of these things where, you know, how he challenged, you know, that was his big thing. I would challenge you and see if you rise to it. I was really kind of like, am, am I really now? <laughs> I got yelled at and sworn at by Bob Knight, like a real media guy? Yeah, I was going to say, did Is you that feel cool that you made it? Or terrible? I, yeah. I, I couldn't, I was very conflicted and I didn't know if I should even go back to reward that behavior. I would really send Coach Knight a lesson if I didn't show up the next day. But I did ultimately go back. And I asked him some super breezy questions, some softballs, and at the end he said, now that's how you do an interview. And as he turned to walk away, he said, oh wait, here's your tape back. And he gave the high eight tape back. We went back to the uh, to the school and put it into the player, and uh, and it didn't work at all. He had destroyed it, but uh, but he had had he his did guys give you glue it back. He had some guys yeah. glue it back together. That and <laughs> the other thing, actually, as I'm thinking about it, uh, the other big event for me kind of that gave me uh, gave me a real appetite for it in a literal way um, is that is I did an internship at KDKA where the pirates uh, play you know uh, on local television at the time um, I did an internship there and one day there was a pirates game one evening there was a pirates game so all the sports anchors were out at the stadium and they got late word that Jack Nicholas was flying in uh, from Ohio to, to uh, scout a golf course that he was designing. He was about three quarters done, and he was going to fly in just to, to walk the course and see how it looked and everything. And they said, we need somebody to, to go and do this. And I said, I will definitely go and do that. And um, they sent me out with a shooter. I was, you know, 19 or, or whatever I was, and just scratching out some questions. And I happened to have heard Payne Stewart. I, on a whim, I grabbed the newspaper with me as we left the TV station because Payne Stewart had just said, because they were putting the Ryder Cup team together, and Payne Stewart had just said, well, Jack Nicholas can't be on the team. He can't make 36 holes anymore. He said, you know, he's, he's great, but he's, he's just too old for that anymore. And just on a whim, I said, I'll, I'll, just in case, I'll bring that with me. And I found myself at this golf course with all the local anchors, Albie Oxenrider and guys like that, names that nationally you wouldn't know, but that made me very, much more than Jack Nicholas even. I was, Albie Oxenrider's asking a question right now. Well, I don't know how you get, how do you get in in this gaggle to ask uh, the Golden Bear question? And so I did, uh, 
I did finally work up the courage to ask him a question and I asked him about the Payne Stewart thing and he said, oh, I didn't hear what that was. And I just happened to have the, the quote, I read it to him and he gave a really good snarky response. Like, well, see when Payne Stewart, uh, when Payne Stewart uh, wins as many majors as I have, well, tell him to get back to me about what I'm able to do and what I'm not <laughs> able to do. Went back, took that back, that was news locally. And then the next morning on SportsCenter, I was, I was over the moon. It still is one of the three or four biggest highlights of my career is that you could see my hand holding the KDK mic flag. And it was, all, it was national news. I, was, I made SportsCenter, look at my hand. That's my hand. You recognized With your Jack hand, Nicholas, didn't you? Giving that snarky response and the, and the nation. So, so, so that gave me a taste for doing it. And then just by dumb luck, I kind of just on a whim more than anything else, you know, do I stay in Pittsburgh? Can I, should I stay here? And, this would be a fun life, and the Penguins were in the playoffs, and they were chasing their third Stanley Cup, and I had my pals there, and we were talking about getting a three-bedroom, and should we do that, and this would be a nice way to, to spend my 20s at least. And then also there was Chicago and another friend, and just sort of went, and legitimately true. While I'm having that conversation in Pittsburgh with those guys, my friend up in Chicago and I, uh, I go up there for the weekend and we look at some uh, some two-bedroom apartments and I'm, I'm kind of weighing what to do. And the Penguins had won two Stanley Cups in a row at that point and they're playing for their third straight that spring. And the New York Islanders upset the Penguins in game seven in overtime and that's what made the decision for him. Oh, the Penguins oh, are out of the Pittsburgh playoffs. Now. I got to go sign that lease in Chicago, and I did. Um, and that really set off the dominoes that led uh, led me roundabout to eventually getting out to LA. And if I had it to do all over again, if I could have the Penguins win that overtime game, I would have because I would love to have seen that third Stanley Cup. But but this has been a fine uh, you know a fine way to figure it out. Yeah, but now would you want them? to win the Stanley Cup for the third time just because you're a fan, or are you saying that because then that would have made you no, move no. to Pittsburgh? No, 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 because I would have just, yeah, no, I would have just, uh, just, to, just, just for them to, to win. Three, just to see 66 get a, a third yeah. cup and solidify himself as the greatest in in, uh, in the sports history. But yeah, then I was in Chicago, I was doing sales and, uh, and, and hating it, and I started dating a woman who eventually moved out to Los Angeles, and so for a year, we um, we did the you know cross country flying back and forth every couple few weeks, and she eventually just said, "You hate what you do in Chicago. Why don't you just move out here?" And I said, "What well, to do? What? What would I do in Los Angeles? How do you make your way?" It's the same thing I thought when I was nine years old. Like, what, do you, what do you do in LA? How would I? I'm not, a, I'm not an That's actor a or a director. I, how do you move there? Is that leave? What What will I need to make this so? Like same thing as if you moved to Detroit. Same rules apply here. Um, so, uh, so I, I eventually uh, I just so I said, you know, she said, "Why don't you try being a comedy writer?" You know, and I, I said, "What? I have no degree. I have no for for that." And she said, "Who do you think has a degree in comedy writing? You just come out and you take your shot." And so I did, and I really got impossibly lucky from from pretty much that point on. Just was a series of. Yeah, when you say lucky, though, it, 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 there had to be. I mean, you're you're a talented writer. So who's the first one to see your work and say, "All right, we're going to give you a shot"? I my first 
couple months out here, I got a job as a writer's assistant, which is hard to get um, even, um, just with a guy who was a, uh, a showrunner, a TV show runner, but he didn't have a show on the air, but he had a development deal. So basically I was just, you know, his, you know, a glorified runner for him. Go literally, go get, uh, go get me coffee for my favorite coffee place, kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, for a true first few months, and once in a while, he would write a script, a pilot script, and I would have to type that sort of thing. I that that was basically what I did. And then I got a job writing um, trivia questions on Fox Sports on a show called uh, um, Sports Geniuses. And I thought walking in the door on the first day, this is ideal. I can't believe I've only been out here for six months and I already have a writing job. And this is the perfect thing for my resume because I will dominate this writer's room because it's a sports trivia show on cable. How, I mean, I've got to be the funniest guy in the room. They wanted it to be, they wanted it to be kind of funny. And uh, within a half an hour, I realized I was doomed in the industry because it was the guy who would go on to become Cousin Sal on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Um, and beyond in, in Fox Sports and um, uh, a couple of Kevin Hench who has done a lot in comedy writing and in sports and a couple other of the uh, very funniest human beings I've, I, I, to this day I've ever known in my life and I, and I realized I'm the least funny guy in this room? Oh my God, what, what, what have I done? What kind of now, life how, is this? How are you measuring that? Is it just your own perception and your opinion of that? Because like in sports, you can pretty quickly value one athlete versus the other because yeah, you can guess, watch them, right? Well, but for it's, this, it's sort of like figure skating, though, right? Yeah, I guess it is like figure skating. Like, yeah, the the uh, just because the Russian judge likes it doesn't mean that uh, the Belarus judge likes it. They can have their own set of opinions. I don't know how you gauge. I guess laughs. I don't know. You know, <laughs> that, that, that would be it. So, but I, could you tell though? I mean, you just felt. That oh these guys are really funny. Oh, these guys and are I don't feel like funny. I'm funny. These guys are professionally funny. I'm, I, I always I love talking to people about what made you think that this was a good idea for you to move out here. <laughs> who, who told you you were so funny that you should be out here? And in fact, you meet a lot of people. I'm you know I'm obnoxious, and so so yeah. you know that that's uh, funny adjacent. You know I just I you know I'm a little bit bigger I guess in, in some way so that can trick people. But yeah, there's uh, I, I I marvel at like at some of the people that I come across that are, are in comedy and like, who told you that this is something you should do? What, <laughs> what happened in your head that you thought this would be a good idea for you to do this? And I'd say that to the man in the mirror more than I say it to anybody else. But, um, but yeah, then uh, one day Sal invited me to watch football over at his house. And uh, he said, it's kind of weird. I live, um, I live kind of in the basement of this house. Um, so walk around the back, and I and I pulled up, uh, and it, these are in the early days of the Sunday ticket and all that kind of stuff. That, and I remember walking around the back of the house, and it was a really nice house, you know, or whatever we were, thirty years old or something. I'm thinking, I don't, what is the setup here? And it was in fact, and it was vaguely, I, I could, I, it, it was. Uh, I, I had a little deja vu, like, what is this room? I know this room from somewhere. And I sat down and Kevin Hench, who I mentioned before, came along uh, soon after. And about a half an hour later, Jimmy Kimmel walks into the room. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel's Sal's cousin. Oh, that's, you're, we're in Jimmy. I know this room because this is where Jimmy shoots his, uh, his uh, Fox pregame pick segment every day, on, uh, every weekend. On this couch, what, I'm sitting in a room with Jimmy Kimmel. What is happening right now? And then he couldn't have been lovelier. 
and uh, and then a little after that, Adam Carolla walked into the room, and Adam Carolla walked in, and legitimately, I'm here, and Hench is here, and uh, Sal and Jimmy are there, and like, ah, hey, what's up, Jimmy? Ah, good to see you. Hey, Sal. And Carolla <laughs> sat down and did not speak to us, spoke to the other two, did not speak to me and Hench for the next six hours. And, you know, much later, years later, I said, what, what, what was that about, by the way? I, I've forgotten about that almost. Why, why did you do that? And he said, ah, it's your probationary period. You should, <laughs> should be grateful. You, you made it out clean on the other side. You passed the test. I don't have time to talk to everybody. You know, if, I try to, if I try to engage everybody, get to know everybody, I, well, that wouldn't be satisfying for me. And there I came to understand the difference between um, two very funny guys. And by the end of that day, um, Kimmel said, hey, you know, we're staffing up for the man show. Um, you should uh, submit a packet. And, and so I did, and, uh, and the rest, uh, the and rest you got it. is history. But, you know, like I say, dumb luck because Jimmy Kimmel happened to be a, a very generous guy and brought me on. And, you know, I, then I went on to well, you still had Frank to Yankers it. and yeah. the Kimmel show, the late night show and everything else. And so when you're working with all those guys and you're – you know, putting all of the creative minds together and trying to you know come up with these skits. Does it ever get personal in terms of if somebody doesn't think what you're writing is funny and you do? It is. I I I, I mentioned earlier my complicated self, a sense of self-esteem, and it really does play on that. On one hand, in fact, there was a there's there's an old uh, Kimmel show bit that focused on not not just that in the abstract. I'm talking about Dave Damashek's complicated sense of self-esteem in this, because you would sit around that writers' table every day, very much like this, and whatever the subject of the day was that or subjects of the day, you know, um, you know oh Octomom, you know what what are, what's everybody? Let's go around the table. What what it's everybody's jokes on that? And everybody would have their five ten minutes to pitch around the table of ten or so writers with, with Jimmy Kimmel seated seated at the head, writing it all down, and a writer's assistant at the other end duplicating that. And so it was a fairly daunting thing. These are some deeply funny human beings sit, uh, sitting around this table. So the you know the first couple months you're you know it's out of body. You know there's. Um, you, you may not know the names, but some uh, Tony Barbieri is one of the one of the great talents of the 21st century, and Sal, like I mentioned, and um, you know Bill Simmons was there for the first couple of years, and so there are a lot of the uh, you know some fairly big personalities, and um, you would you would just pitch around that stuff, and I would half kiddingly would say sometimes. This is a guaranteed home run. This this pitch is a guaranteed. I guarantee you this will get laughs. And then I also could always see the flaws and everything I pitched too. And uh, Jimmy said that we're gonna make this a bit. When you guarantee it's a home run, we're gonna dress you up like a baseball player. Then you have to come out and do the bit. I'm not gonna do it. You do the bit. And if it is a home run, you get to take a lap around the audience. <laughs> and if it isn't, um, you have to hit the showers. And they had a shower set up on the stage, and I would have to take the shower. And of course, I was so excited at it, it, in the moment that it didn't occur to me. I, this is cooked. There's no way I can. Win. Exactly. Of it's all, these people don't want to see me take a home run lap. They want to see me take the shower. So we did that a few times on the show and I had to I had to get doused with it now you know you mentioned this whole the NFL and you know the what ifs or whatever what do you think this world or your life would be if the if was there's no sports I, I mean in 
in general, I say unironically all the time, what do people do who don't like sports? Because the greatest virtue of sports, a sports spectator, uh, not obviously not playing, there's a funny inverse relationship as you get to know athletes, you realize the better you are at sports, the less you care about how other people are at sports. And the worse you are at high levels of sports, the more you are engaged by what other people are doing. You like to watch that. Um, but I, I really do think it's it's everything's about life. You need something to look forward to in the short term and the long term. And you know, what are you going to do this weekend? Oh, I can't wait! Can't wait to see the U.S. Open this weekend. That's going to be great. Like, oh, we have tickets. We have three and a half months from now. We're going to meet up at uh, at that college football game. Can't wait for that. What do you do without that? In the absence of that, like. TV shows like yeah, kinda, <laughs> Game of Thrones. Not, well, that's a good one. That, that's a legit. One. That's a legit one. But um, for me, I mean, I I really don't know. I really don't know what I would do without sports. What, what would my life be right now? You know, what, what, what if if I hadn't moved out to LA? What would I do if I were down the middle? I mean, I remember the guy who I mentioned that when we moved to. Um, who I who I lived with in Chicago, a block uh, north and a block east of Wrigley Field. We, you know, for the first couple of years there, I mean, we went to, if we didn't go into Wrigley Field, we went to the Bleacher Bar uh, right next to it and met friends there. Uh, you know, there were 81 home games. We were there for at least 60 or 65 of those drinking beers in, in the in the ballpark and everything. But I remember we would uh, sit around and we would say, how do we manufacture a life that allows us, because there were several uh, several of us from Indiana University wound up up in the north side of Chicago in the early mid 90s. And uh, we, we would really uh, contemplate exactly that. Like, well, how do we manufacture careers so that, because aren't we cheating life if we are doing something we like and Furthermore, if we're doing it with people that we like, and that it, through dumb luck, it just wound up that I got to do both of those things. I mean, I've, I, as immodest as it sounds, legitimately, dumb luck. I know that sounds. <laughs> I know that sounds like false immodesty, but legitimately, I grew up. Love, just die hard, living and dying with the Steelers and pit football and pit basketball and all in the Penguins. And once I got Mario Lemieux and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in when I wasn't doing that, I was watching uh, David Letterman. The fact that I've gotten to write on a late night TV show and I've gotten for the better part of a decade to, to talk football and sports when. Uh, with you and with uh, you know the the people who call the games and the guys who play the games and everything else, it's uh, it just feels impossibly lucky. I don't know what I would do uh, without it. I'll be interested to see because I'm sure I'll be doing it in about 18 months from now. It'll be fun to find out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I, I agree with you in terms of I, I struggle with trying to understand what people have done that have never gravitated towards sports just because it has meant so much to me. And not even just from an entertainment value perspective. I'm even talking just a life perspective where, you know, I didn't know my biological father and sports was my safe haven, my escape. And, you know, where I first felt accepted, you know, first felt camaraderie, you know, team, love, just all of that. And I I think so many people can miss out on a parallel of life through sports. I completely agree with that. And so hopefully the younger generation plays team sports because the thing that is interesting and they're, you know, people hit me to the research about this, you know, do you know the younger demo 
uh, of football fans and sports fans don't care as much about team as they do as much about team as they do about the individuals. People are much more about Odell Beckham than they are about the New York Giants and so on, um, which is interesting because you know. And, and by the way. I wonder if that's in what, chicken or the egg. That's actually, uh, I, I hadn't really considered it, but um, is that owed to the age of free agency, that, that those teams aren't tethered to one team for the most part in any of the major sports, or is, it, um, or, or, or is that the, you know, the psychology or the sociology of people that makes it that way? Either way, I, I say all the time, one thing that perpetuates it is the jersey swap stuff? This is one. This is this, this is. I know you do not like bane. this. It, it, it's a bane. It's a it, it's a blight on sports. <laughs> what are you doing? You're supposed to. I mean, WWE. We all love WWE. We all get why it's fun. Everybody gets what that, that it's scripted. But why it's compelling is because they don't like each other. Conflict. This is conflict. When players from rivalries say like, "Hey, good luck. Hey, big fit. Hey, Russell Wilson. Congratulations on that new deal." Like, wait a minute, you're in the 49ers, man. You can't be. No, no, we're all in a brotherhood, though. You don't understand. We're all in this business together. Like, yeah, it can't feel that way to the fans. You understand? We're willing to delude ourselves. You have to help us perpetuate that. You can't be congratulating the bitter rival who we were booing last Sunday. Yeah, but now would the athletes? What if they came to you and said, "Well, wait a second. What about you and what you do in terms of your?" brotherhood of comedy writers versus NFL analysts or broadcasters or whatever, do you oh, do you root for them to have success? The, no, or when you? I was writing on the Kimmel show, I was certainly not uh, rooting for Jay Leno that put up big numbers, <laughs> I can assure you that. And by the way, besides that, anyway, do, do as I, I say, not, not as I do, please. I'm a hypocrite. I, the double standard applies, please. You do have a standard Thank to you. live up to, Thank and you. it is being a hypocrite. Yeah, I want right. everybody else to do that. This is, you know, I'm vain, you know? It's, it's, it's not, as I always say, it's not, I'm not a narcissist. I'm vain, and it's my vanity that requires your attention. That's the major. That's the major difference between me and that. I guess that kind of defines the two brands of uh, comedy. You're either vain and want people to pay attention to you, or you're a narcissist and expect everybody should pay attention. To you. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about your family? Your kids right now? Are they? into sports as much as you were growing up? Because it's a little different my living in Los Angeles. My 12-year-old girl loves, uh, is, uh, loves basketball, and she's a great athlete. My 10-year-old boy just started playing hockey, um, and he really enjoys that, which is a weird phenomenon in Southern California that there is this rise of hockey. It's a funny thing that when teams in the NHL win the Stanley Cup, it tends to create a youth hockey um, uh, kind of a thing. I, it's weird because that was true in Boston in the early to mid 70s with Bobby Orr and all that. In Pittsburgh in the early 90s, and now Pittsburgh puts guys into the NHL, which is weird. And now it feels like LA is going to be one of those as well because um, with the Kings winning Stanley Cups, there are a lot of rinks around here and youth hockey everywhere. Um, so he's doing that, and then uh, then there is the five-year-old and the uh, three-year-old, and it's too hard, uh, too early to tell um, what what their aptitude's going to be. But the the five-year-old boy looks like he's going to be a, a nice athlete at least. Well, he's not going to follow in your footsteps then, huh? No, I hope not. <laughs> I, I, heaven forbid. I, my, my, I I I fear that because this is going to be rec this is being recorded that somehow he'll hear about this at some point, but. Uh, my ten-year-old boy Jean-Claude Van Damascheck, um, <laughs> he's uh, he unfortunately got my foot speed, which is to say he got no foot speed. He got none. Uh, he got none. Now, what about any words of wisdom that you're passing on to your kids? And that could be quotes, phrases, 
mottos, just just life advice that has meant a lot to you? Well, uh, my old man, I, I, you know, I mean, basically it comes down to, you know, what every, uh, I, I feel like I'm not uh, certainly a theologian, but it seems like every religion arrives at the same, um, the same point, which is basically be nice. Try to be nice to people in the same way you want them to be nice to you. That is an overarching one, but a, a little bit of a finer point on that. I always tell the story of my old man when he was a doctor and, you know, um, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, I, I went with him one day to the hospital and um, not one but two, a janitor and a woman in the cafeteria pulled me aside. I didn't solicit them. I was a little kid. And they pulled me aside and they said, I just want you to know your dad, of all the doctors, he's the only one who talks to us. He's the only one who treats us like we're like we're people and that we're worth his time. And and uh, that means the world to me. And, and that was two people on the same day pulled me aside and said that. And it really is that, that you know, uh, the mark of a, of a good person is how he or she treats those who can do nothing for him. That, that I, I think, is a good one. Do I live up to that all the time? No, but it is a good target to shoot for. Well, it obviously impacted you because you still remember it. That's right, yeah. yeah. I mean, that is obviously a, a, a big thing. Now, I also, by the way, my, my new favorite one is at the kids' preschool, the, or the uh, elementary school, the principal says every day at the start of the day on the PA system that broadcasts out all into the classrooms says it's either a good day or a bad day. The choice is entirely up to you. I, I, I have no I, I have no ability to, to, to do that, but I if I could if I could give my children anything, it would be the ability to, to decide to make their now, lives. Now, why don't happen. you have that ability? I just I, I it's not in me. I don't, I don't know why. It's I, I don't. Are you I have a pessimistic a person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly, yeah. But my worldview changes a little bit through my children. But um, I, I'm able, in little ways, I'm able to enjoy movies like The Last Jedi. I, I would have hated that movie, but uh, but then they enjoyed it, and I saw it with them, and so then I was able to say, like, yeah, it was fun. Because oh, little things like that, I can lighten up because of because of. Because it's movie. a completely different experience right. with them. Well, Dave, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me. I know you have another two and a half hour drive back home. <laughs> but what a pleasure, just the same. Now, what we need to do is, we need Act 4, Cowboy Steelers. What would be better than Dak v. Big Ben for all the, for all the marbles? We were deprived back in Super Bowl, Super Bowl 14. We started there. Super Bowl 14, Billy Waddy and the Rams, Vince Ferragamo, impossibly went into Texas Stadium. I remember and on it well. Deflected, on a deflected pass with 90 seconds left, Billy Waddy, in the, one of the craziest plays you'll see, over the middle, and the Cowboys DB, I believe, gets his hand on it and travels another 15 yards, and Billy Waddy's just running in full stride and catches it and runs it into, runs the, right end into zone, the end zone, which gave us the worst title game, bar none, in the Super Bowl era. Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the uh, the L.A. Rams. Final score, 9 nothing. <laughs> L.A. Rams on three Frank Corral field goals. Fat Frank Corral kicks three field goals to face uh, the uh, the mighty Pittsburgh Steelers. That is one. Talk about what if and the football gods and all that. They deprived us of, of what would have been, I mean, an epic round three. Imagine, that would have been their third Super Bowl in five years against each other. It would have been amazing. That would have been great. Yeah. And then we did get Super Bowl 30 and the... Uh, the problem, though, though, I don't see anything happening for the Cowboys. 
not under the regime that they have right now. They're not going to make a Super Bowl run. They're just not. It's funny because I've been thinking about that what if specifically. Um, And you can calculate a path where had the Jags not taken Leonard Fournette at number four in the 2017 Mm -hmm. draft and instead taken either Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, whichever guy you like, that the Jags would have beaten the Patriots in Foxborough in that AFC title game two two Januaries ago. the, so then they would have played the Eagles, and, uh, and, and that's how that one would have shook out. Um, but the Cowboys, I'm trying to think of how, I, how, the cow, how this impacts the Cowboys. It does, it does impact them somehow, yes. Nick Foles then would have accepted the trade after that Super Bowl when the Texans didn't get Deshaun Watson. They would have been desperate for They would have needed a quarterback. They would have said, hey, Philly, can we get Nick Foles from you? Now, Foles turned down a trade to Cleveland, but that was Cleveland. That's right. Nick Foles he goes would have to wanted Houston. to go to Texas. He would have right. his home state. He would have gone back to Texas. He would have been the Texans' QB. This means that Nick Foles wouldn't have been in against the Bears in last year's playoffs, which means the Bears would have won. And, the, uh, and then the Cowboys would have played in New Orleans in the divisional round, and they already had beaten uh, the Saints once. Those things tend to repeat themselves. It doesn't tend to go the other way. It tends to repeat. So the Cowboys would have beaten the Saints. You might have gone to the Super Bowl because then it would have been. Then you would have had Cowboys because the Bears would have beaten the Bears would have beaten the Rams just like they did earlier yes. in the year. So your title game would have been Cowboys and the Bears. Cowboys up in Chicago. How do you beat? How do you beat? How do you beat that defense? You run on them. Who could run on them Zeke. better? Zeke. Ergo, it would have been America's team allegedly against uh, against well, the Patriots. Why can't you just write that for us and make that happen? I I, I, I did one better. We just talked it through. <laughs> we just talked it into being. Yes, we did. All right. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. We we need to somehow now have you be able to write the future script that the Cowboys can because I just don't see it happening unfortunately I, when you can imbue me with those powers that is the next step the, the next step is that, is that's that, the next that, step for you when I imagine something that it then comes to pass that's what we need to do I'm going to hold you to it okay. Dave thank you thanks pal it was good times it's fantastic while some things in life can't be fully explained as we each examine our own journeys and how each decision affects other decisions and what direction our path goes, as Dave has also experienced, but we can be certain that during our journey, we will all come in contact with so many different people and how we treat those people might just be more important in our journey and a true way to measure success. Now that finishes episode 111 and make sure you check out more of our content, which can be found by visiting our Rich Take on Sports Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.